This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. I'm Hillary Georgie, and joining me today is Editor-in-Chief Al Sanasiri. Say hi. Hello. <laughs> Be friendly, Al. <laughs> and uh, and John Schwartz. Hi. How's it going? Things are good. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well. How's great. how are you, Al? Great, great. Excited about uh, the May issue, and more excited about the way this team is playing. Yeah, it's been a fun few weeks. Um, we've lost what two games? Yeah, <laughs> three two games. games. Not a big deal. Three weeks. Yeah, anyway, it's, it's that's been fine. terrible. But we're actually going to talk about, because this podcast is dropping on May 17th, which is the 20th anniversary of David Wells' perfect game, and we have a very special Q&A in the May issue of the magazine with David Wells himself, which, Al, you conducted that interview. So tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, no, I did. It was a great interview. Um, David has tremendous recollections of that day, even though it was 20 years ago. I, I think he could recall almost every single pitch that he threw um i recently talked about talked to somebody else about how these key moments or these seminal moments in your life sometimes you're so aware of what's going on that you can literally recall the smells and the sights and the sounds of, of things that happened so many years ago where other moments in your life that are not as important you don't remember anything about but he's got a great memory and he remembered so much about it and it, it was a great interview um you know my favorite part of the interview um and i'll, I'll keep it as pg-13 as i can for our podcast <laughs> Good luck, man. his uh you know outing the night before the outing uh you know being there a lot there. has been written about yeah that. a lot's been written about <laughs> it and you know he's in a good place where he just he doesn't he doesn't he didn't do anything that was that bad other than stay out really late and have some uh adult beverages and stuff and uh as we've all had nights that probably we think are going to end at a certain hour and they go a little bit later it's always interesting when it's a uh, a night before a game that you're pitching and that's just how he lived his life and ran his career so to speak uh but he was uh, at a saturday night live party and came back really really late and it was one of those moments the next morning where he thought that nothing was going right it was a horrible bullpen session he did not feel well for obvious reasons who the heck would have mm -hmm. thought that that would turn into the greatest day of his career and it did and you were actually in the stands that day as a fan right i Al? was yeah i was you know um uh, I have to date myself here if I can remember. I was um, in well, college. Well, how old are you now? Yeah, well, I'm 39 <laughs> now. No, I was uh, I was just getting done with my freshman year of college. I was there at the game with my dad. And, um, you know, like anything you see like that, even on TV, and not that I've seen so many no-hitters or perfect games even on TV cause they're, because they're so rare, um, at first you don't think it's a big deal. And you see a guy kind of cruising for the first couple through the first couple innings and Probably by the fifth inning, it seemed like he really had a chance to do it. Not just because he was perfect through five, but because it seemed like 
the Twins batters were not even coming close. And I think that to that point, he hadn't even gone to three balls with any anybody. He was attacking the strike zone, and they looked lost. And you kind of start counting down the outs. And, and it really... David talked a lot about the atmosphere in the seats, how it, the fans were hanging on every pitch, and that's something that I always talked about. We literally were hanging on every pitch, excited about every single pitch, criticizing the umpires for every time he called a ball. Uh, but it's, you know, for me as a, as a fan, it's one of the great experiences. Um, it's certainly helped cement my, my interest in lifelong love of baseball, um, and you feel really fortunate just to have had the chance to pick that game to go to so it was great it's so hard to understand i mean you know, you know the vagaries of you know why one day something works and one day something doesn't and i don't think that even a pitcher who obviously i mean reading the q a wells can't tell you why it worked mm-hmm. that day or why it didn't but i think everyone who you know watched spent any amount of time watching david wells pitch is amazed like i remember there was one game i believe it was in 2000 and he was he was no i think he was pitching for the white Sox. i, I don't even remember and I, it was in America Park in Detroit, and he came in and threw a complete game, 100 pitches, 81 strikes. And there, there's just, like, a level of precision and perfection in something like that, which, like, I'm sorry, but, like, that is not the image of David Wells, precise and perfect. Like, what is it that just makes something work like that, do you think, on a night like that? Uh, or day like that, sorry. Yeah, no, it, it's fascinating because there's not a lot of um, positions in sports that – if your quote unquote stuff is on, you're really, really good. And if it's not on, you could be really, really bad. You know, you don't look at um, a basketball. I, mean, I guess basketball is maybe the only thing you can compare to it. A guy just or, or, or a woman being able to just have that pinpoint precision some days and then not others. But even that is there's usually some consistency, like good shooters shoot well pretty much all the time you know but with pitching it's just so uh bizarre that you could have it one day and then not and i think the interesting thing about this i know i i asked david in this piece about um the person for the yankees who pitched a perfect game before him who was don larson i mean don larson had a losing career record yet you know he's very very barely mediocre pitcher in his major league career didn't even know he was pitching the day he pitched a perfect game and ended up going on pitching a perfect game in the World Series. Like, where did that come from? Who are you? Yeah, it's it's bizarre. But I think it's just a matter of find, getting in a groove and just feeling good and staying with it. And um, I think it's one of those things when it's going, you probably wish the other team didn't have to bat because you just don't want to lose that feel. Um, and then it it goes away the next start sometimes. I just looked it up, by the way. It was April 19th, 2001. He was pitching for the White Sox at Comerica Park. 100 pitches, 81 strikes, complete game. Ridiculous. Unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> My, I liked in your story, whenever a pitcher is pitching a, a no-hitter, a perfect game, everybody kind of leaves him alone. He mm-hmm. is exiled. Yeah. And I remember reading your story, and David Waltz was, like, annoyed. He, and so David Cohn, who went on to pitch his own perfect game was actually the guy who was kind of breaking the tension. What, what did David Wells say about Cone in that situation? Well, again, I'm going to share the PG uh, rated <laughs> version. <laughs> 
But he was, uh, it's a great story. I'm glad you asked me because uh, I think it, it, it may be my favorite part of the whole interview. Um, just to break the tension, he, you know, dared him to throw a knuckleball. And I think at first David Wells didn't even know what he was getting at and was like literally responding in a serious tone like, I don't throw a knuckleball. <laughs> and then David Cohn took it a step further and just starts shouting at him after he got out of the eighth inning, I believe, or seventh inning or something like that. Later, very in, the, later in, the in the game. Um, you know, you've shown me nothing. You know, you're, you know, you're a wimp, uh, for lack of a better <laughs> term. And, you know, you're, you've shown me nothing. And, uh, you know, it, it did exactly what it was supposed to do. I think it totally speaks to the great leader that David Cohn was on those teams. He, he literally cut the tension. He got his mind off of this enormous pressure that he was feeling, the weight of the world on his shoulders, and got him thinking about, like, what the heck is this guy talking about? And this back and forth, two, you know, athletes busting each other's chops, so to speak. It, it worked to perfection, no pun intended. <laughs> I really wonder, you know, we talk about Babe Ruth and we say, you know, he never could have thrived in this era because there'd just be too many cameras and eyeballs and things like that on him and you couldn't get away with it. And I kind of wonder, is David Wells proof that's not true? Or are the 20 years since that perfect game enough of a chasm between now and then that he's more proof to that? that it, you know, I wonder like <laughs> which side he falls on. Is he modern or is he, you know, roaring 20s era Babe Ruth in that sense? I'm Hard glad. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's the latter. I, I don't know if, <laughs> you know, with social media being as prominent as it is today as opposed to not being, you know, in existence 20 years ago or when David started pitching, you know, 30 years ago, 35 years ago. Um, you know, all these parties and the Saturday Night Live parties and the, you know, different things that have been publicized self-publicized, I guess, after he wrote his book and, and retired, how well that those things would have been perceived. And the reason I say how well they would have been perceived, they would have been perceived because someone would have taken their phone out and taken a video right. or a photo or something I mean, something I'm guessing Didi's emoji for him would be the beer. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Until someone in the Yankees PR asked Didi like, to kindly stop doing yeah. that. Yeah, don't do that, actually. Right. Right. But not to just like play the game of you know fun David Wells uh, stories that we all, we all have. But I told you about the 2001 game. So in 1998, a couple months after, it was September 1st, my cousin calls me in the afternoon and says I have tickets to tonight's Yankees A's game. Sure, do you want to come? Sure, I'll come. Um, and you know it's me, my cousin, my uncle, and we had a fourth ticket which we couldn't get someone to take. And this is you know I mean it's three months after it was perfect game or whatever and so as we're walking into the stadium my cousin and this is of course you know they ripped your ticket when he went in there and my cousin says man if he throws a perfect game tonight we have an unripped ticket stuff from this game won't that be funny and he just proceeds to and i, I mean so like when do you go into a baseball game expecting a perfect game but like, you know we had just been joking about it he proceeds to just mow through the a's lineup um through six innings perfect <laughs> and then top of the seventh he gives up a hit but again i mean it was just like how how is this real watching this guy the rest of the game just the Yankees would come up and it's like, just swing, swing and miss, swing and miss. We want, we want Wells back out. We want, we want to watch the real show right now. I can't even imagine having been there for the actual one, oh but God. a couple months later, it was pretty fun to see that. It looks like uh, the perfect game had a Bill James game score of 98. That mm -hmm. September 1st game had a 
game score of 96. So but I think that speaks to just the magic of that season and David Wells's role in that season, which you also get into a little bit in that story too. Yeah, you know, the one thing, and, and I agree, the one thing that I, I, I would say, John, is that he um, and Hillary, but I'll, I'll speak to your point, the, the one thing he was rolling that season, yeah. like, you know, um, it wasn't a, a fluke thing. I mean, he was really, really good. And, um, you know, there were a lot of guys on that team that you could almost say – they wouldn't have won without. He was one of them. I mean, if you took him out of that rotation, I think he won 18 regular season games, um, but he also, I think, went like 4-0 in the postseason, I think, um, but was really valuable. He uh, really wanted the ball, too. He wanted the ball, and that was his attitude, and that's what I, you know, I always liked him uh, and really respected him for that, that he wanted the ball. He feared, you know, no team, no situation, um, nothing really. And just, you know, he was the type of guy that I know when, when asked, you know, how would you, you know, pitch Barry Bonds when he's going for the record, throw the ball over the plate. And if he beats me, he beats me. And I think that's what was so great about him in that postseason is he just threw the ball over the plate and whatever happened, happened. But he had it. He was he was in his prime, uh, you know, and, and just was great. But to Hillary's point, you know, attack the hitter where he's best and try to beat him there. It helps when you have an offense that's doing absolutely everything right and incredible defense behind you and a team that just wins every game probably gives you some freedom to just say, you know what, like let's make this quick and easy and just put it right over the center and let my team do the work. I think think you go into every single game knowing that what's behind you is going to be almost perfect just like you want to be. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's a good, and, and you it's know what the thing point. is? I mean, not to compare them, you know, unnecessarily, but like the Yankees have a big pitcher this year who is just, you know, precise and able to, you know, play around the edges a little bit. And it takes a lot of different kinds of body types and shapes and, you know, personalities to win this year. But if you, you can just see with CeCe Sabathia right now, this sense that like my team is good enough behind me, they're going to hit. Mm-hmm. I don't need to you know, be someone I'm not anymore. If I just can work the edges a little bit here and, you know, hit my spots, we're going to win games. It's true. I I think it's a great point. I think when you uh, look, you know, to your point, you look at, um, so he had 18 wins that year. Uh, David Wells. David Wells, excuse me, had 18 wins that year. There were probably, I, I would love to, to know, and I just could look it up, but I didn't, you know, his record, uh, the team's record when he pitched was probably very, very favorable on top of his actual record. And what I mean by that is similar to this year, that team always came back. So there were probably a lot of games where he probably exited losing three to two or, you know, losing by a little bit. Th- there's a lot of similarities there. This team comes back. They score a lot late. That team, no lead was, you know, was, um, was too much for them. Uh, no deficit, excuse me, was too much for them. So here it is. He was 18 and 4 that year and the team was 25 and 5 in his starts. Thank Amazing. you to our producer baseballreference.com. Al, it's an awesome story. I'm excited it's in the magazine. I'm excited you you were there. You got to write about it. We got to talk about it. Um, Thank you. It's very so cool. Much. Great pictures too from the 98 season. And we'll be talking more about the 98 season all year long as we celebrate the 20th anniversary of that magical team and those awesome players on it so looking forward to it and thank you yeah uh okay stick around on this episode you will hear from tyler austin who i interviewed for my story which we'll talk about in a in a little bit so stick around guys 
Hi, this is Aaron Hicks. For more stories like this one, subscribe by visiting yankees.com slash publications or by calling 800-GO-YANKS. For the May issue of Yankees Magazine, I wrote a story about Tyler Austin, and I got to sit with Tyler for a little while here at Yankee Stadium, and we went through his whole history. From childhood to high school to the minors to the big leagues, we went through everything, and there was a lot to cover because if you don't know, Tyler has been through a lot in his life, and he was very open with me about all of the ups and downs and the trials and tribulations and the hardships that he's had to overcome in order to make it here to the big league level. And he's so grateful for everything that has happened to him and the opportunities that he has. And I hope that when you listen to this, you're inspired by his story and uh, you get to know a little bit more about him. So with that, here's a little bit of my conversation with Tyler Austin. Yankees were your favorite team growing up, right? Correct. Yeah. Why? <laughs> well, my grandmother was a Yankees fan, and we we lived with her, so it was it was easy to become a Yankees fan. She'd always call me in to, to watch the games, and that was about the time that Jeter and those guys were making a name for themselves when I started first started watching baseball. So it was easy to, to be a Yankees fan. It's been pretty well documented in high school. You got diagnosed with testicular cancer. What was that like for you? How I, I watched your Origins episode on Yes. And you said you didn't think it would have any effect on you. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think um, I wasn't going to let it beat me. I think mm-hmm. that's, that's the big thing. Like, I, as soon as I found out, obviously I was scared. It was not something that I want, would wish upon anybody or, or anything like that. It, it was just something that I knew as soon as I went to that second, second doctor's visit that, that I was going to beat it and I wasn't going to let it affect who I was for the rest of my life. But... Um, yeah, I was scared, mm-hmm. like anybody else would be. How did you get through it? Well, I, I uh, like I said, I, I just kept telling myself over and over again that I was going to be all right, and that, like I said, I wasn't going to let this beat me. And I think that was the big thing. And I had a lot of support from family, and yeah, I think I think that was that was it. I'm just not going to let it beat me. I read that a week after your surgery, you were playing again. In, yeah, I was. Um, I was in the, uh, the All American game. Yeah, I was in Petco Park at the uh, Affleck All American game. And uh, to get an opportunity to go out and play in that, I think that kind of eased my mind a little bit about <laughs> everything. So, Did you still have your sutures in? I no, read they, somewhere they that. They just came out. Okay. Like the, the day before I flew there, they just came out. Was that painful? Very, very. I, <laughs> <laughs> I started the game at third base. Um, or when I came into the game, I went to third base. And. Played a couple of innings there, and then I caught, and that was that was uh, that was pretty miserable. I, I would um, imagine during that time. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was pretty painful. What gets you through something like that? Is it just just the will to play? I mm-hmm. think I think that was the big thing, just being out on the field and getting the opportunity to play. You get drafted yeah. by the Yankees. What was the call like to, to, to um, say we want you? Yeah, it was come play for us. It was uh, my. I was actually at a buddy's house. My dad actually called me told me that because he would fall in the draft the whole time yeah. on the online and it, it was it was crazy and then I got a few phone calls from, from other people and it was uh it was it was one of the best, best days of my life and pretty early on in your pro career you you were tearing it up you tore it up in the golf league Charleston what were those first couple years couple months like for you it was it was great well right when I got drafted I went to Tampa and I broke my hand mm-hmm. I got hit by a pitch I broke my hand and the following year I was in extended and 
started in the GCL and then went to uh, Staten Island a little bit later, and we won a championship in both leagues that year. But uh, it was it was special to to get have the opportunity to play baseball, the game that I love, and to do it with the Yankees is no better feeling. You mentioned you broke your hand. That was like the first of kind of a lot <laughs> yeah. that's gone on. Right. Can it take me through the process? It seems like for every high, there was kind of a low. Like <laughs> you would get to the Futures game, but then you hurt your head, and you get to the AFL, and then you, you hurt your, I don't even remember. Yeah, but it's I, kind I, of like a litany of different Yeah, I went to the Fall League three times, actually, mm-hmm. and was hurt twice. Um, yeah, it, it, it's just part of the game. I, I think that... I my injuries or some of them are fluke injuries. You mm-hmm. know, like I broke my foot last year. That <laughs> I got, that been, I fouled a ball off my foot a thousand times, right. and yet one one time it it breaks a bone in there. I think that that's just part of it. Mm-hmm. It's just something that that I've had to overcome and and to continue to battle through and and uh, continue to get better every day from it. I talked to Brandon Thomas, who you work with in the offseason. He's known mm-hmm. you for a long time, mm-hmm. and he said that he thought after 2015 that was kind of your lowest point but also your turning point where you kind of had to make a choice like yes or no this is what I was going to do right, is, it, right. is, is that how you feel well, too? I, th- I got DFA'd that year right. so it was uh, as soon as I got home I uh, didn't take any time off like there was still a few games left in the season but I knew that I wasn't going to play in any of them so as soon as I got home I think it was like September 4th 3rd or 4th mm-hmm. I, um, I started working out and I knew that on my ride home, I had a, I had a choice to make, and I wasn't going to let that, that moment in my career. So I kind of uh, went back to the house and basically started over and, <laughs> yeah, kind of uh, worked worked as hard as I possibly could to, to get back to this level. What would you say the lowest point was and what's been the highest point for you? Well, the lowest point was obviously um, getting a phone call from Brian Cashman saying that, um, they're going to DFA me. That was probably the, the most difficult time in my career. And uh, the high high point, would I, I would say, was getting the phone call saying that <laughs> that I'm going to I'm going to come to the big leagues for the first time. For the first time, yeah. <laughs> and then that was quite the debut you had. Quite, yeah. Well, take me through that. I I can't. Do you even remember it? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't. Far. I don't remember much of the game, honestly. I remember not almost falling down the stairs. <laughs> coming into the dugout Stop after it. I'm serious <laughs> the first uh after the first at bat I when, when I came running into the dugout the top step is cement mm-hmm. so if you go back and watch the film my foot slips oh my god off the dugout and almost went down um, but yeah that would have <laughs> would have would have really set the tone <laughs> uh yeah it was that day was was special to, not only for myself but for Judgey too and to have the opportunity to be a part of his his first day in the big leagues was was truly truly special how did it feel to be on the opening day lineup in the roster, it on was the roster a, uh, in the lineup? <laughs> it was a special day i um was optioned as everybody knows in spring training so i thought that that the chances of that happening were were, were done for this year but uh um you never want to see anybody go go down like greg did but it um it was a special day for myself to, to, to get a chance to, to be on that field opening day for the New York Yankees. What do you love most about the game? <laughs> well, getting a chance to put on this uniform every day is, is what I love most about it. You know, this, this uniform is, is special and it's, 
to know that the people that have put it on before before myself and the history that comes with with this uniform it's uh it, uh, i think that's what i love most about it why is this team special this group of guys? <laughs> i think everybody is is has each other's back i think that's the the big thing you know we got a lot of new faces in there and then a lot of uh guys that have been around a long time so and everybody gets along i think uh, when you got a team that everybody has each other's back and you go to war for for each other every day i think that that um makes a uh, special team i think that Everybody in that locker room has the same mindset. Each one of us want to to be uh, be at the top at the end of the year. So that's the big thing. I think uh, I think everybody is is as mindset is set on win a World Series, and uh, we're going to take it day at a time. And um, hopefully, we're standing there at the at, at the top at the end. You think everything you've gone through from cancer, from all of the injuries, how do you think that's changed you or, or colored I just you? Th- I just think it, it helps me to to uh, not take anything for granted and to continue to, to work hard every single day, no matter the, the circumstances or the situation, and to, uh, to, to just, just enjoy this game and enjoy life. Hey, this is Giancarlo Stan. You're listening to the Yankees Magazine Podcast. Welcome back to the Yankees Magazine podcast. You just heard part of Hillary's interview with uh, Tyler Austin for the feature "Won't Back Down," a very a story very heavy in Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers puns all over the place, which is what I was going for. There it is. It's, it's, it's every. It's, you don't have to look too hard to find them. They're right there for you. But Hillary, let's talk about Tyler Austin. You know, I don't think uh, story of Tyler Austin's life. I don't think anyone expected it right now, but here he is, right? He is. Um, he's he's made his way into the lineup more and more often. As Greg Bird went down very late in spring training, Tyler Austin was assigned to AAA, which is obviously disappointing because this is a guy who has been up and down. He made his debut in 2016 on a pretty memorable day with Aaron Judge, and we talked about that. So... Tyler Austin was before judge in the lineup. He came up to bat, and I think he had a six-pitch at bat, and he uh, he hit a home run. And it was the first time that, like, a rookie had debuted with a home run, blah, blah, blah. Like, it was, like, a, a big historic moment. And then Aaron Judge walks up right after him and <laughs> hits a home run, and it was a big historic moment. These two rookies went back-to-back in their major league debuts, and it was this huge deal. And that was kind of where I wanted to lead off and where I did lead off in the story because Tyler Austin has forever, it seems like, been kind of the afterthought almost. And it's not necessarily his fault. He's had a a string of bad luck, some really unfortunate circumstances in his life. And so I really wanted to talk to him about everything that he's been through and how he has managed to stay so positive and and become the big leaguer he is today. So Hillary, I think you hit it right there when you said it. he is a really positive guy um and you wonder in tampa just a few months ago this was a guy who really just did not have a role on this team mm-hmm. um and obviously he was sent to triple a and obviously it took some things to get him back here but i think you know that that moment you talk about was 2016 2016 yeah you know, that's getting farther and farther in the past and you wonder like is he going to be a producer for the new york yankees you know, what do you think has allowed him to stick with it? And obviously, I mean, there are the external factors that both affected him and also affected other players and got him here. But, like, you still got to 
deliver when you've come up, and he has this year. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Tyler Austin has always, always, from the time he could walk, has wanted to play baseball, and specifically for the Yankees. He grew up in Georgia, and his grandma was a Yankees fan, and his grandma would call him into the living room when they when the Yankees were on, and she was like, uh, Tyler, come, come watch the Yankees game with me, and that's how he became a fan. He watched Derek Jeter, and he watched Jorge Posada and Bernie Williams and all these guys win all these rings and he said I want to do that too and so that's what's driven him throughout everything and I think he's been able to produce and stay positive because of everything he's been through and this drives at the point where he's been through way more than just being assigned to AAA you know like this is a guy who at the age of 18 17 or 18 was diagnosed with cancer and I think that's where it all honestly stems from he had to face this news that he got testicular cancer and had to fight against it as a teenager and that's the scariest thing that I can imagine going through as a young person so I think to fight through that and to to win that battle and then to then get drafted by the Yankees not that long after you you just conquered cancer like i think that's what drives him forget about that even i mean he was playing that week or whatever (laughs) yeah he had so he got diagnosed with cancer the timeline is like he got diagnosed a few months go by and he has to have this surgery only because early detection is important you have to kind of get the cancer out before it spreads so he had surgery to remove the tumor and then like a week later he was playing back on the field playing like uh, an all-america game it's amazing <laughs> he had the day before just gotten the sutures out from his mm. his procedure and he was catching he he started at third base and then was catching in that game a week after having surgery like this is a guy who is so tough and just loves baseball and wants to prove himself and i think that's what really drives him you know i i think it's a great story because it epitomizes what we really love to do at yankees magazine is is bring our readers and and the enormous fan base inside the lives of our players and not just talk about you know what happened from the time spring training ended till now but all of these factors you're talking about make him very very likable mm-hmm. um, I'm curious if you can kind of talk to and I've really not spent much time with him uh, his personality his humility and what he's like to be around when you're interviewing him and spending time with him for and when you are spending time with him for a story like this likable is a great word because you sit with him and like for myself any professional athlete is a little bit intimidating because mm-hmm. this is a guy or a girl who is at the pinnacle of their profession. They have worked so hard. They have achieved so much. They are somebody who I look up to just as as somebody who has made it to the top level. And Tyler Austin is such a nice person, so humble and deferential and thankful, I think is a good word. He's grateful for every single opportunity he's gotten, for every person who's helped him get here, for every thing he's been through that has made him stronger. And I think that really shows through when you talk to him. He's just, he's grateful to to still be a human on this planet, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> when you face cancer, it's just like, you know, I'm just happy for today. And I think that that's really inspiring. I think inspiring. he's also, you can see ways that he's improved in his comfort level mm-hmm. just in the few years he's been up and down and up and down you know and i don't know if i don't want to you know create something in his head that might not be there but you talk about all the things that he's endured over his life 
and, you know, enduring just being sent up and down and getting hurt again from the major league level and everything. But, you know, he in 2016 and even 2017, you would talk to him and it was just like, you know, you're trying to really will him into saying something useful. <laughs> and now, I, you know, not to get too far ahead of ourselves here, but in the June issue, I'm writing a lot about speed and facing pitchers throwing really hot fastballs. And you talk to most of the guys on the team and they're just like, oh, you're not going to hit anything. You know, it doesn't matter how fast it is, I can hit it, and I'm not afraid of anything. And I was talking to Tyler Austin. He was the only one who's like, man, when they throw that fast, it's scary. (laughs) You know, he's laughing while he's saying it. It was also, like, really, he was the only one who's just like, yeah, it's a lot harder to hit it when they throw it a lot faster, and it's super scary. And, you know, it it definitely wasn't an interview I could have had with him a year ago. Yeah, I think he's just, like you said, he's become more comfortable. He's in a clubhouse with a lot of guys he's come up the ranks with, a guy like Judge and even an Andujar or or a guy like Greg Bird or Jordan Montgomery. He's been with these guys and they've seen him struggle. He's seen them struggle. This is kind of a collective group that has seen the best and worst of each other. And I think that brings out the best in each other because I talked to a lot of guys in the clubhouse about Tyler and everything he's been through. And Greg Bird and Aaron Judge, they – they were all so impressed by him and happy to know him and to see him succeed. They, Greg Bird, like the, Tyler Austin currently has Greg Bird's job. Like that's mm-hmm. the current situation on the Yankees. And I was talking to Greg Bird and Greg Bird said, I want Tyler Austin to succeed. He's a big leaguer. He deserves to be here. I want to see him keep doing well. And that I think means the world to all these players. They want each other to succeed. So I think that's what makes him more comfortable. I think that comment speaks volumes about both guys, Mm -hmm. Greg Bird and Tyler Austin. Um, What do you – I'll ask both of you guys this. um, What do you foresee for Tyler Austin's future? And I'll I'll say one thing before I even ask for your response or or whatever is this guy's a major league player. So regardless of – that's my take on it. But I'm curious what you guys see see his role on this team because Greg Bird is going to come back. I, and it's funny, I asked Tyler Austin the same question. I was like, where do you see yourself? And he said, it's not up to me. Mm-hmm. And I think it is up to him in the sense that if he keeps producing and playing well, I think there is a space for him here because mm-hmm. he, he is versatile. He can play first base. He can play the outfield. I talked to Brian Cashman, and Brian Cashman, too, is like, if this guy produces – He's a big leaguer. That's the mm-hmm. bottom line. Yeah. And it's it's up to him to stick on this roster. And I think so far in the month and a half, the six weeks, he's he's been filling in for Bird. He's, he's been pretty consistent and pretty mm-hmm. – he's produced where he's needed to. And in his second game of the year, he had two home runs, and he's played a very good first base. You, you wonder if his most valuable role to this team could be as a trade chip. I mean, not to be a knock on him, but if – you know, I think everyone's ideal situation right now is that Greg Bird comes back and plays an all-star first base. And, you know, you don't want to say this this team, there are things that this team, which is doing extremely well right now, can use in the future. And you wonder if Tyler Austin is going to be useful to the team on the field, which I think would be great for everyone, or if he's going to be useful to the team somehow else. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sometimes so interesting to think about just like kind of where we keep these guys in our heads as, you know, these are Yankees prospects or Yankees players, whatever, but it's a big league and there's a lot of opportunities all over the place. And, you know, I I think I just keep going back to after that 2016 
game with Aaron Judge, you do such a good job in the story of talking about how Aaron Judge went one way and Tyler Austin went another way. And I think that it wouldn't have been surprising for a lot of last year if I had been at some random AAA minor league game and seen Tyler Austin playing for some other random team. But there's something very cool about the fact that he persevered through it and that he's right now, for however long it remains, you know, and whatever happens with Greg Bird, right now he's the starting first baseman for the Yankees. And I think it's a credit to, you know, the players around him who've, you know, helped elevate him, but also to the work he's done. Yeah, I mean, he said, when I asked him, I said, what's been the highest point in your career? And he said just making his debut with the Yankees was the best day of his life. So I think he's been able to live out a dream regardless of where he winds up. He's... He's doing great things right now, and he's happy right now, and he is, you know, alive right now. And mm-hmm. I think at this point, <laughs> that's that's what he's grateful for. So I, for one, hope that I mean that Greg Bird one comes back and is the All Star first baseman that I think he certainly has the potential to be. But I also hope that in whatever role, whether it's you know an outfielder, whether it's um, a utility role, which it very well may be, that Tyler Austin remains a big part of this team because I think his character and just the, the things that he's gone through and the experiences that, that you wrote about and that he's lived through, I think make him just an asset to be around these guys. Um, he's obviously wise beyond his years, um, but I, I, and he's a really good player too. I, I, hope, um, I hope he's here for a while or at least for the end of the, through this season for sure. The Yankees have the best record in baseball right now, tied for? At least tied for, yeah. And they have yet to play a game this season with their expected lineup. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah, and, and and the answer to that is just you know it's a cliche, but it, it takes a lot more than twenty five men to win a World Series, mm-hmm. and you know we're far off from the World Series, and we're far off from seeing what this Yankees team is going to do. But when the story of this team is written, if it is a good one, it's going to have a lot to do with Tyler Austin and these guys who nece- weren't necessarily supposed to play the roles they're playing, but have at, at the very least through mid May come through more than you could have hoped for. Yeah, it's been exciting, and I'm I'm glad that I got a chance to know Tyler Austin and and write a story. I think it's a very cool one, and I was inspired by it. It's a great piece. I hope everyone will read it and put some Tom Petty on in the background. (laughs) (laughs) I encourage that, yes, because I was, I'm not sure if you noticed, listening to it, Uh listening to some Tom Petty while I was writing the story. If if we can get Hillary writing (laughs) about musicians that aren't Taylor Swift, it's a win for everybody. Uh So. The reviews of her tour are phenomenal. I just want to say that. Variety is good every so often, <laughs> and a little bit of Tom Petty never hurt anybody. Uh, well all right, fans. Well, listen. Listen to Tom Petty. Listen to Taylor Swift. Listen to whatever you want. But while you're doing it, read Yankees Magazine. Read Yankees Magazine. That's all we're asking. Even, okay? sub- even subscribe. Subscribe. <laughs> subscribe to the magazine. Subscribe to the podcast. You can find all of our stories on yankees.com slash magazine. You can find our podcast to listen to and subscribe if you haven't already, which I can't imagine. Yankees.com slash podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Yanks Magazine. And we'll be back soon. Let's just have a good day. Yeah. Have a great, have day. A great day. You know, go Yankees. Do that. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you.